Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, this is Annie for Showreel. 3CR's look at Australian film. We've got a bit of a departure today. We're actually going to look at a program of early, very early Russian films, which is has been put together by uh, Liam Ward, who's the a cinema lecturer at RMIT. Now, the reason for why we're going to be talking to Liam about this program, which is on Tuesday, July the 30th at uh, Trades Hall, if you go in the uh, Victoria Street entrance, you'll be able to involve yourself in the, these extraordinary screening of extraordinary films. Starts at six. Uh, the reason for why we're looking at them is because these early films of uh, Russian uh, filmmakers are part of the historical development of the craft of filmmaking. And so it's worthwhile, anybody who's interested in film, going and uh, looking at these uh, films. Uh, Now, it's a program that uh, runs for about two hours on uh, next Tuesday, uh, worth you going to have a look at. But uh, before we talk to uh, Liam about it, uh, I thought I'd let you know that there's going to be a wonderful screening at Nova on Sunday, July the 5th at 4pm. It's going to have uh, a question and answer with Gillian Armstrong, the uh, wonderful Australian filmmaker, whose latest offering is a documentary, unusually, and it's called Women He's Undressed, and it focuses on a forgotten a uh, hero of uh, the film arts, Australian. His name is Ori Kelly. Now, Ori Kelly won three Academy Awards for his costumery. He was the most remarkable costumer and uh, is uh, extraordinarily well-known, actually, for doing things like the uh, clothing for uh, Some Light Good Hot and stuff like that. But anyway, it's an extraordinary film extraordinary story and really worth going to see and of course if it's added up with uh, the question and answer with Gillian Armstrong I would be quickly going online and seeing if I could still get a ticket to the Nova Sunday July 5th 4pm screening of uh, Women He's Undressed. The actual release date for the film is July the 16th. Having already seen the film I can say that it's a very interesting film. I don't think I'm going to be at all famous. 
I don't think I could handle it. I would probably go mad, you know what I mean? I would go mad. 3CR and Music Matters Radiothon Film Fundraiser is the new documentary study of the great British soul queen, Amy Winehouse. Bring your friends along to the Kino Cinema at 45 Collins Street in the city on Thursday the 2nd of July at 6.30pm. Tickets are $20 concession and $25 waged. Buy your tickets online at 3cr.org.au or at the station, 21 Smith Street Fitzroy or phone Loretta during business hours on 9 419 8377. Amy, Thursday the 2nd of July at Kino Cinema in the city. Help 3CR and Music Matters reach our Radiothon target so that we can activate the airwaves. You're with Annie on uh, Showreel this morning and uh, as I said in the early part of uh, the introduction that we're going to be concentrating not so much on Australian film today but having a yarn with Liam Ward who's a lecturer at RMIT who's put together a program of very early Russian films. Very difficult to uh, get uh, a look at these films except at a special program like this. And uh, it's going to be on July the 30th, that's Tuesday, at 6pm at uh, the uh, Trades Hall. You can go in through the Victoria Street entrance. Uh, These early films are part of the uh, vocabulary of uh, the making of films that we now know today. So really worth going to have a look at. So uh, And uh, here's the first part of our chat with uh, Liam Ward. Uh, I've put together uh, a collection of rare, uh, or some rare, some not so rare, uh, films from the early period of Soviet cinema. So we're really looking at the period from the revolution itself up to the kind of mid-20s to late-20s and the rise of Stalin and the sort of crushing of all of that creative spirit. Of course, the Soviet films themselves in that period are uh, held in high esteem. You could go to any cinema course or any film school in the world and uh, guarantee you'd do you know, a semester or so on Soviet film. So really what we're looking at is some of the rarer examples and trying to put it in a political context as well. I've looked into this a little bit and uh, I was absolutely uh, enthralled by that earlier period because they, like uh, everyone else, was were learning the craft of filmmaking and a lot of that earlier stuff is uh, like newsreels where they just had a set camera and they shot. And, of course, they were shooting imperial uh, marches and uh, other events because that was what was considered to be worthy of being filmed. Mm. Very similar, I suppose, to that earlier uh, use of oil painting where they were taking, they were making pictures of people's owned artefacts and the hierarchies. But uh, actually, there was a big change, wasn't there? The Russians are the ones responsible, as far as I'm aware, of the first edit and cutaway. Uh, they certainly invented the sort of modern grammar of editing. Oh, some of the earlier films from particularly the US and uh, Western Europe, with this new medium of cinema, there's a tendency to treat it in a way that we were familiar with from theatre. So the actors come on, you just whack the camera there and you sort of capture the whole scene. There were editors or filmmakers in Hollywood, people like D.W. Griffiths, who had started experimenting with editing and trying to convey different meanings but the uh, the main breakthroughs came uh, in that period of the 20s with the Soviet filmmakers and uh, in fact the style has gone down in when I said before you could go to any film school in the world and study Russian cinema it's, it's actually called Soviet montage editing 
so it's it's very much the basis of of modern editing. What's the name of the guy? Starts with Eisenstein, C? or um, there's a there's Kuleshov, uh, Vertov. Yeah, Vertov's a, uh, a special one. He came from that newsreel tradition that you mentioned earlier. Well, actually, that, that's not entirely true. He originally before the revolution, he'd been uh, he had no connection with filmmaking at all, and uh, after the revolution, he got into the newsreel departments um, to make newsreels of the Civil War, and that's where he sort of learnt the craft. Uh, and he was very much committed to this idea that uh, the camera was better at sort of recording true stories than than the human mind or than the human. You know, this tool was uh, this thing was that opened up a new way of telling true stories. So he was he tried to take newsreel away from the kind of boring, kind of mundane. You know, as you said before, filming imperial marches and stuff like that, and tried to raise that up into a new way of. Um, educating, informing, agitating, um, you know, telling true stories and trying to use it very much as a sort of uh, agitational tool. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you can see why people, from this movement, you can see where film uh, originally, uh, the technology of it originally fitted into people's understanding. So if you look at those earlier French films where you've got the uh, five, I think, I think it was five minutes, might have been less, uh, of the uh, train uh, at the station and then the train coming towards people and how it uh, caused people to become quite fearful. Mm. It caused a sensation. It was a sensation. But it was about, uh, it was people understanding film as being something that was true as as it uh, as it was shot. And uh, later, this, this movement is towards creation of narrative mm. using the techniques of film. Definitely, definitely. Uh, narrative and... There's a big there's a big narrative tradition that using those techniques, but there's also that tradition of um, argument. You know, it's it's using film as a sort of rhetorical device as well, uh, and that that fits in with the sort of Eisenstein Kuleshov approach to editing uh, that Soviet montage style, where it was all about uh, uh, trying to understand how the meaning of a given shot could change depending what shot preceded or followed it. That's right. Um, again, it can seem such like a, it can seem like a no-brainer. It's such a it's truism. A, I know, you know, isn't it? It's like a but, no-brainer. Yeah. But, but it's time, so exciting. Huge breakthrough. Yeah. It takes his, your breath away. Yeah. To, I mean, it's like a haiku. Mm. It's extraordinary. And, mm. and it is, we're right at the beginning of uh, creating filmic vocabulary, mm. which the Russians obviously took to a great extent. Uh, and in fact, I think... Uh, only now are, say, Hollywood movies releasing themselves from uh, the literary form or the theatrical form mm. and becoming truly uh, engrossed in film vocabulary. That's interesting, actually. I hadn't thought about that. But certainly Vertov would... I, I suspect Vertov would probably agree with that because he's... Uh, you see today, these days a lot of filmmakers experimenting with, um, you know, ramping up and, and playing with speed, the speed of the film, pausing things, like using using the camera and the film not so much as, sort of, as a sort of 24 frames per second kind of real-time recording of life and rather as some sort of way of exploring the world. So, yeah, speeding up, slowing down, pausing, all that stuff, which is beyond... You know, this is not just about sort of CGI and all that other stuff that we have today. It's also about um, trying to grapple with what the camera itself uh, can kind of show us about the world. 
that's what Vertov was all about. And it just occurred to me when you said that because I was reading this um, interview with uh, George Miller's cinematographer for the latest Mad Max film and he was talking about all the ways they sped things up and slowed things down for the film and I hadn't made that connection until just then. But uh, certainly that seems to me that is part of the legacy of, of what these Soviet filmmakers were doing. Yeah, I think so. Because uh, what I was, suppose I'm getting at is that a whole lot of that experimental, what is considered to be experimental film, where they uh, play with uh, the look of things and time and stuff like that. And uh, generally people, the mainstream uh, moviegoer becomes completely infuriated. It's like that thing where someone made a film where they just shot a wall, mm. you know, a brick wall, which is quite famous. But there's a reason meaning in all of this, which is beyond the narrative uh, uh, form, which people... Ha- in itself is a creation and people have become inured to uh, realising that they have imbibed this really sophisticated Mm. level of narrative form. Mm, Definitely, definitely. One of the things that was interesting to me compiling the program for the um, presentation was looking at how the understanding of narrative form or the the use of different forms uh, became or becomes more sophisticated through the 1920s. So someone like Eisenstein, for example, who has gone down in history as the sort of most famous of the Soviet filmmakers, didn't start making films until 1924. And then within, you know, four years or so, you've got the whole Stalinist uh, kind of uh, crushing of the revolution. And And what people have to realise is that what Stalin did was not only airbrush people out of the photographs, but he insisted that uh, the films that were being made were were recreations of history. The Stalinist kind of view of art as that sort of socialist realism thing they called it uh, had, I think, a particularly stultifying impact on film. Um, so right through the 30s, the film, the films, you know, you have this glorious period in the 20s and in the 30s it's just they just become turgid and, and just horrible. Um, and that's the point with someone like Eisenstein that he has this little four or five-year window where he makes these amazing films uh, and his and in that in that time his his work um, develops these highly sophisticated approaches to to time and to narrative and just the whole all of the sort of uh, formal devices that can be used to tell a story are just um, they're some of the most amazing scenes you'll ever see are in, are in these Eisenstein's films from that little four year period um, so yeah really amazing developments and this wrangling of emotion mm. That's mm. what they're doing. They're wrangling emotion. But also for the, uh, as you said before, they were fighting the revolution using film. Mm. They absolutely saw film as part of the process. And, uh, in fact, one of, the, uh, one of the most exciting things for me as a you know, filmmaker and a film lover was uh, seeing these accounts of the agit trains that would, they had these trains that were painted in, um, you know, there'd be six or seven carriages, they'd be all painted in these kind of, um, you know, agitational slogans and propaganda paintings and things, and they'd go way out into the... Uh, well, sometimes they'd go to the front line of this war, other times they'd go out into the countryside, uh, into the sort of former um, backwoods of the Tsarist Empire where people didn't speak the same languages, they'd never seen a film before, and they'd go out there with these trains that had cinemas in the trains, you know, and they'd just show these films, and they'd have cameras there, they'd be filming the locals... Uh, while they were gathering around to watch the films and they'd be showing them films about what was happening in the cities, uh, the, the sort of status of the revolution, what was happening on the front lines of the Civil War. Um, and this is these amazing kind of, yeah, these, these, these peasants from, from, you know, the far-flung corners of Russia who just 
flock to these trains, you know, and, and uh, one of them was, one of the trains was um, run by, there was a woman Bolshevik whose name escapes me at the moment, but uh, she was one of the f- sort of long-term veteran Bolsheviks and she died uh, on one of her sort of tours with this train and um, after she died amongst her papers they found this collection of uh, all these handwritten notes that these peasant women from across the country had given her at the various places where they'd stopped and all expressing basically the same theme that, you know, I'm, I've never seen a woman who can deliver speeches like you, I've never seen a woman who can, who's so, who's so capable, who's so uh, political, who's, you know, like that in itself was this kind of eye-opening thing for all these peasant women across Russia. And I just think that's a nice, there's something nice about having that um, in the context of this cinema train. <laughs> you know, this train goes out into the countryside with films and it brings with it all of, not just the, not just the film itself as this kind of modern art form from the cities, but but all of the sort of associated things with that, you know, about all the politics and all the strides that, that women were making and all that stuff comes, gets on this train and kind of goes out into the black, back blocks and sh- really shakes things up. You're on 3CR with Annie on Showreel. We're having a look at uh, film and uh, the beginnings of film by uh, having a yarn with uh, RMIT lecturer Liam Wood, who's putting on a program of Russian, very early Russian films. These filmmakers were part of the early development of uh, filmmaking vocabulary. The uh, screenings are going to be on next Tuesday at Trades Hall. Go in through the Victoria Street entrance at around 6. Get there at 6 for a start at 6.30 and uh, you'll be uh, given a a great treat. One of the things Vertop did, which was kind of interesting, he he really fell out of favour with uh, Stalin because he was so interested in what he believed was the use of the camera to reveal truth. Mm. He wasn't much into airbrushing things out. And uh, he, uh, he was seduced by, by the camera, mm. basically. He was seduced by it. Mm. And, uh, and the revolution. He was uh, a true revolutionary, it appears to me. But anyway, one of the things that he was really interested in was uh, getting um, what were like a, uh, a group of scout-type young boys mm to go and shoot uh, real life, yeah. right? Do you know about this? Uh, Kino, it's called. Yeah, it? yeah, we're actually showing some, clip, some, some clips from this film. They went into the sort of suburbs and, and parts around the city and would film, um, you know, like the bakers at work or the, the right. ambulance. They follow the ambulance around for the day. Uh, and they're really amazing scenes. There's one scene in particular where it's based on one of the ideas from these young scouts who said, because when we say young, we're meaning children. Like there's people sort of yeah, less than... Yeah, youngins. And, uh, and he was them, really quite a revolutionary kind yeah. of guy. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of these kids came up with this kind of little question in his notebook. He said, imagine if, we could, imagine if we could take the bakery, you know, take the bread from the bakery and wind it back all the way through time and then it would end up with the, the wheat in the field, you know. And, of course, for someone like Vertov... The it's whole, a narrative. It's, yeah, that, he says, well, we can do that. We can do that. The camera can do that. So he has this sequence where... He follows the bread and go all the way back, and the film literally runs backwards uh, through the through the oven, and then you know the flour on the truck, and to the mill, and then out to the it ends with the wheat in the field. Um, and of course, for him, it's not just about sort of showing off what the what the camera can do. It's also when we say that this is about exploring reality and exploring life. Uh, for him, that's about saying, well, there's a you know there's a process of sort of alienation that's at work in our labour, and what we're where we just see objects as you know, we're, we're in, as Marx said, you know, governed by things rather than seeing the world as a relationship between people. And uh, 
so for him, that process was saying, yeah, well, the, the bread is not just this object that you pay for. It's not just the commodity. It's this whole chain of real people who made this, you know, from the farmer to the driver to the baker all the way through, and the film can highlight that by running it backwards. So all the way through, these kind of formal experimentations of these filmmakers are enmeshed with their political project. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, I suppose because um, <laughs> I did follow this fellow through, there was he's got a very famous film which uh, based uh, which is based on this young kid's idea, yeah. the one about the uh, the making and the playing of the instrument. Oh, right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah. there's a whole sequence that he does through the lifetime of a a day's mm. journey of a particular instrument through yeah. to yeah. So he's also got had a lot of uh, stuff to do with um, uh, a, re- a human's relationship to machines, mm-hmm. which is really interesting too. That's true, actually. And uh, one of his uh, one of his films he made in 1924 was uh, um, it's called Stride Soviet, and it was made for the I think it was the Moscow Soviet or possibly the Petrograd Soviet. Anyway, one of the Soviets uh, commissioned him to make this film, and it was about looking back at the sort of um, you know, where we, how did we get where we are? Uh, looking back to the revolution, the civil war, and now, you know, we've been through all this hardship, there's been all this famine, it's like the stuff wasn't, the situation was hardly a rosy picture. Um, and so he made this film, uh, kind of looking back on that, and it was, it's remarkable because of, there's hardly any people in it. You know, there's, there's so much of the focus is on That's right, machines. it's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. And the vastness. Yeah. 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 I, and I... I think that in a funny kind of way from the a western perspective in terms of propaganda perspective or pictures that one has in one's head about the other as in a cold war sort of a sense a lot of the images that were created uh, f- that we have in our head actually come from this period rather than from the stalin period mm. Uh, because there's this idea that uh, i think of um, humans alienated or subjugated by machines or something like that, I think, is an undertone to the way the West has mm. subverted the message that was actually being try. They were trying to convey. I think it was yeah. so different, so it different was, from yeah. the the uh, soap opera that yeah. was being created by Hollywood. That's what I guess. Yeah, I'm definitely. Saying. And there was a conscious reaction on the part of these filmmakers to that sort of soap opera. Um, especially Vertov. Vertov was particularly kind of hostile to that sort of soap opera. Hollywood dross, you know. Um, well, there's the other famous uh, um, philosopher, um, well, writer, uh, Walter Benjamin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with his, uh, I love his quote about, um, uh, for a, a movie, you know, the idea that movies are so contrived mm. for, a, for a medium that is so contrived for people to think that it's real life is most extraordinary. Yeah. I heard that one. That's good. Well, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I'm paraphrasing yeah. him, but effectively that was what he was getting across, yeah. that it's, it's absolutely extraordinary that people mm. should believe that it is real life. Mm. And it's interesting, you, you mentioned before about the, um, the sort of portrayal of the, of the Soviet films from the West or how the West portrayed them. And um, again, that's something I hadn't really thought about until just now, but the, the later period in the 30s, uh, is remark it's it's renowned for having these films that are all about glorifying tractors and you know and then later on it's the space race and you know we can get this bloody put a dog on the moon or whatever they did you know and I think there can be a tendency because of that kind of Cold War bipolar thing there can be a tendency to, to lump all of those films all of that Stalinist crap gets lumped in with the films from the twenties you know pre-Stalin and 
a film like Vertov's One, Stride Soviet, could be seen as an example of that because, oh, well, look, there's no people in it, it's all about machines. But I think that would be misunderstanding what he was doing because what was happening in the 20s was that uh, one of the things that was seen as um, most vital to the survival of the revolution was that they would um, be able to increase their productive capacity. Yeah, the means of production. Yeah, and they, you know, the, the, the only way for that really to happen was for for support from abroad. That's why they put so much effort into fostering revolution across Europe, not just limiting themselves to Russia. Uh, but um, the fact that in a country, like I said before, there's all these peasants who've never seen a film or never, you know, certainly never stepped on a train or anything like that. Um, and so within the space of a few years, the idea that you could have people with electricity running to their house was just an amazing, an amazing breakthrough for them. You know, this was a life-changing moment. And so... In a sense, the film is, is celebrating that because it sees that as sort of one of the key achievements of the revolution, even though it hadn't really yep. delivered that yet. You know, it was sort of Understood. still aspirational. And Yeah, aspirational. Mm. So let's get back to the actual uh, group of films that you're going to be showing. You're yep. going to show them at, uh, it's going to be at Trades Hall. Trades Hall. Tuesday night, the 30th of June. The program will go for about two hours. Yep, of There's a lot of talking, so it's not just films. There'll be, because like I said before, I'm trying to put this in a political perspective. So some of the stuff we've been discussing tonight is in there. Um, so there's that, but then in terms of the sort of excerpts from films we're showing, uh, it's I've put it together in, in more or less chronological order. So it starts with some of the very rare newsreels from the Civil War. Uh, so these are films that were made in 1918, um, 1919, extremely rare, um, and you, I, most people will, will not have seen these before. And then we follow that through, um, right through until the end of the 20s. Uh, so there's that those early period up to the mid twenties includes all of the sort of Vertov newsreels, all of that stuff. Uh, the pre- the program itself we've called Ajitki, which is uh, which was a specific specific type of short film that the Soviets were making, uh, agitational kino Ajitki, uh, and these were the agitational films. So not so much the newsreels, more the sort of fictionalized little short films um, that would tell this or that little sort of fable about the revolution. Well, which is the what they contributed. Yeah. 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 Uh, so we'll be uh, showing a couple of excerpts from some of those uh, and then um, moving on to the sort of, I guess they call it the golden era of Soviet cinema, which is uh, from about 1923 to 1928, 29. And these are full features. Yep, most of those then are, by that stage are full features. And that's when you start to really, you know, you get your Battleship Potemkin, you get you know all of the Eisenstein films, the Vertov's big ones like... Um, uh, Kino, Kino Ai and or Kino Pravda. When he goes off into the uh, the hinterland and takes pictures of the vastness of yeah. the country. Yeah, he does. And yeah, makes right. these uh, narratives without all about landscape and yeah, people. Yeah. And he uses pe- uh, women uh, yeah. really full in the centre of yeah. things. And he has, uh, he has an amazing little film. Basically, the film is about all of the different, all the different kind of cultures and uh, ethnicities and religious people, you know, groupings that that make up the Soviet Union. Which is extraordinary stuff. It, For some reason or other, it didn't fit into the Stalin picture. Like, for example, under the Tsar, the Tsar himself hated film. So this is one of the other things that gives a bit of context. Uh, it's notoriously hostile to cinema. Uh, and during World War I, uh, as, as the war became increasingly unpopular, uh, the Tsarist authorities tried to increase their repression. And one of the things they did was they whipped up anti-Semitism. And one of the manifestations of that was that the Tsarist censors went through with scissors and literally physically cut out any shot from any film that had ever been made that had Jewish people in oh. it. 
Oh, because uh, he was Jewish too. Vertok was Jewish. Yeah, Vertok. A lot of these, a People lot of these, yeah, a lot of the cinema Soviet filmmakers were. Um, but so yeah, they were reacting against this. There's this extreme anti-Semitism under the Tsar. Goodness me! And then one of the first films that the Soviets made after this. So the first thing is you get all these Jewish filmmakers making films for the Soviets, and then after the kind of chaos of the Civil War dies down. And in the mid-20s, things calm down a bit and they start making these feature films. One of the very first films they make is a Yiddish comedy uh, called Jewish Luck. Um, it's not particularly political in terms of its content, but the fact that it existed and it was one of the first films they made is itself a political act. This is about saying, you know, those days of the Tsarist's anti-Semitism is, is gone, are gone and, um, you know, these Jew- Jewish revolutionaries are now running the, cin- running the cinema and making the films and making Yiddish comedies. And, and up yours. Exactly. <laughs> Goodness me. Well, it's going to be an exciting program. Oh, thank you. I'll certainly be there. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for Showreel today. If you want to go and see those films, you should be going to Trades Hall on Tuesday at around 6 o'clock, going through the Victoria Street entrance, $10 for waged and $5 for unwaged. Coming up next is Published or Not. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.